Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. Hey, guys. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Hannah. All right. So today we are going to discuss the whys and hows of acute pulmonary embolism and hypoxemia. Tony, this was one of the first tutorials that you ever wrote. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. You know, I wanted to mention it with this episode because when I started writing these now, gosh, four years ago, these tutorials about pathophysiology and sort of all these why questions, I became super excited with the idea of finding answers to things that I had sort of questions about for a long period of time. And, you know, before I had an, a venue like a podcast or like Twitter to sh- sort of share them, I didn't have as much of a, I don't know, a, a reason to go find the answers. I'd find an answer and maybe I would satiate an internal desire. But I felt like once I had an avenue to to sort of share what I found with other people, it really became much more exciting for me. And this was a, a perfect example of that. Meaning th- this question about like, why does a PE cause hypoxemia? I mean, I sat in conferences for years, you know, having it on the differential diagnosis, but like being puzzled about why it was happening, but never really taking the time to look it up. And I, I wanted to mention it here because I felt like, okay, now I have a reason to look it up because if I find a cool answer, I can share it with other people. I know, Avi, you, you obviously do as much of this as anybody. I don't know if that sort of rings true to you in, in your experience writing these things. It definitely does. I mean, I think – and so I think this is also what we try to do on this show is sometimes you'll hear an explanation and it's like a single line of like, oh, it's this. And you just sort of could accept that and I think, I think you know, all of us previously did. And then you realize like, wait, there's like this whole wide sort of panorama of explanation that you can explore to find out the reasons why things work the way they do. And I think this is a perfect example of that. All right. So where should we start? I'm actually truly interested in what explanations you guys have had for hypoxemia and pulmonary embolism before I offer what I found was a really fascinating explanation. I don't know, Hannah, d- d- like, what has been your conception for the hypoxemia in PE? I never thought about this. I have to be totally like this was not one that would have crossed my mind to be wondering about in morning report. I think I always just thought like low blood flow to lungs, therefore like <laughs> no oxygenation, which now as I say it out loud, it's like that's not how that happens. Uh but I I don't think I had ever really examined to this question. Okay, that's we hold these truths to be self-evident, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? There's yeah. an abnormality in the lung, like PE hypoxemia. Yeah, and, and I'll be yeah. honest. Sometimes I think we encounter things, and we get the sense that an explanation isn't required, right? There's a clot in the lungs. Of course, there's going to be an issue with oxygenation. But I think as soon as you begin to interrogate the physiology, it becomes pretty clear that there has to be something else going on. And Hannah, you've even alluded to this already. Okay, so where should we start? What do you mean? (laughs) All right. So um, (laughs) I'm going to answer your question with a question of my own, and it's a leading question, but it's what area of the lung is actually responsible for hypoxemia in a QPE? Is it the area of the lung that has the clot or the area of the lung that is unaffected by the clot? That doesn't sound like a leading question. That sounds like a trick question. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's... um, it's not meant to be a trick question, but I guess it probably is. I mean, this is a classic. If I wasn't attending on rounds, the med student would be rolling their eyes, being like, oh, God. <laughs> um, but the fact that I'm asking the question, I think, gives away the answer. And it's the area that is not affected by the clot. Those are the areas in the lung 
that are the ones leading to the hypoxemia. And this idea is a you know a relatively new one because it wasn't first proposed until 1984. You know, I think before that there was a sense of oh yeah, clot lung hypoxemia. Hey, that's all you need. Clot lung hypoxemia. Right. right. Okay. So uh, clot lung hypoxemia somewhere else in the lung. How does that work? Yeah. So I think maybe before we answer that question, we should take a step back and talk just a very briefly about hypoxemia more generally. And you know, I'll say there are a lot of approaches to hypoxemia I've seen I see in sort of case conferences. And I'll be honest, I've kind of moved away from the physiology-based approach when I'm caring for patients. But I think for this discussion, it probably makes sense for us to think in those terms. I mean, that's what we do on this podcast a lot is talk about physiology. And Avi, you're our resident pulmonologist, so maybe it makes sense for you to just remind the listeners of the sort of main buckets of mechanisms of hypoxemia. Sure. You know, the, so the five domains, main domains of hypoxemia that we think of are uh, decreased PaO2, hypoventilation, VQ mismatch, decreased diffusion, and shunt. And you know, this is again sort of probably a little bit oversimplified, but the reality is. Most hypoxemia that we see in clinical practice is formed by some form of VQ mismatch. Outside of Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that's great. And I think a lot of folks actually see PE as a form of shunt. Uh, I think if, if I was walking past you know, a doctor or a medical student on the street and I was like, hey, what's, what's the mechanism of hypoxemia in PE? And like we're you know, shifts passing at night, they'll just scream out shunt and, and then we sort of we move on. But what's interesting is it's actually the exact opposite of shunt. Because if you were to imagine for a moment zooming in on a single respiratory unit with one blood vessel feeding one alveolus, right? imagine that unit. Now imagine if that, that blood vessel experienced an embolus and became obstructed by a clot that was hindering the blood flow to the alveolus. What would be the VQ for this unit, right? So remember, V is ventilation is and Q is perfusion. So we have a, a, a clot in the blood vessel that's feeding an alveolus. What, Hannah, do you think would be the V and the Q for that unit? Okay, so our, our ventilation is still just fine, and our perfusion is basically not at all. So our VQ is like a very high ratio, potentially infinity. That's right. And remember that shunt is the exact opposite. Shunts are areas where there's no ventilation and normal perfusion. The, the VQ is zero. So this is, again, the exact opposite of shunt. At this point, preserve ventilation, but zero perfusion. And Tony, so this sort of uh, single alveolus model with an acute embolus in the vessel feeding it, that sort of presumes that there's no pulmonary infarction. That's right. Which itself could sort of lead to... You know, um, which you know, which probably wouldn't, which would sort of mess up this model. Absolutely, guess, there's no question. To say, yeah. And could cause hypoxemia in that part of the lung. Okay, so earlier you mentioned that that you know the area with the clot is not the area that leads to hypoxemia. Again, presuming there hasn't been a pulmonary infarction, and I think you know you, you've explained that really nicely. So the areas with with really high VQ are considered areas of essentially dead space ventilation and. Dead space itself doesn't typically cause hypoxemia. Instead, it, locally, it can lead to hypercapnia. And so I, I guess I don't think of pulmonary as embolism as causing hypercapnia. So what's going on there? Okay, so this is where I think it gets even more interesting. So there are animal studies involving experimental pulmonary embolism. And in some of these studies, the animals are sedated and they're mechanically ventilated so they cannot alter their minute ventilation, right? It's kept fixed. 
And when this is done, and when they create an experimental PE, one of the first things they see is actually an increase in the PCO2, or hypercapnia. And so this is one of the key points. The increase in the PCO2 is found in the area where the clot is. And this makes sense, again, because the ventilation is great, but the perfusion is zero. But, you know, we're, we're kind of dancing around the hypoxemia, so we're going to have to get there. But I'll also say that this is supported not just in animal models, but there are actually some case reports of patients who experience PE while on the vent. And at least initially, they can see a marked rise in PCO2, right? When, they ha- when they're in a controlled environment where they're on a vent and they really, for that, they can't control their minute ventilation themselves. They're, they're subject to the vent. I wonder also if they're entitled CO2, like differentiating the blood and the actual exhaled CO2 also goes down. So to summarize so far, at the area of the clot, it's actually dead space ventilation because we are ventilating, but we are not perfusing. And so what we see is that we are not perfusing away all of that um, carbon dioxide. And so there's local hypercapnia in that area. And so... I, I do sometimes think of hypercapnia as a driver of tachypnea, um, of increasing minute, minute ventilation, often because people sort of will increase their respiratory rate. Is that part of the mechanism of tachypnea and PE? The short answer is it might be. You know, as I mentioned, in, in, at least in these animal studies, the minute ventilation is kept fixed. But certainly in non-experimental PE, in a, in a, in, in a patient who experiences a PE out in the community, they undoubtedly increase their minute ventilation. And part of the reason for this may be a response to the local hypercapnia in some ventilatory units, but it's definitely not the whole reason. And it's certainly true that patients with pulmonary embolism, they present not with hypercapnia, but typically with a respiratory alkalosis, if anything. Um, So we'll have to sort of add to this explanation a little bit more as we go. Okay. So we've been sort of zooming in on the area of the lung with the clot. And those areas, like you said, have high VQ but they're not the cause of hypoxemia. And so we alluded initially to that other areas of the lung that are not affected by the um, by the embolus are actually where the hypoxemia of a PE can come from. So can you tell us about those? Yeah. So if we zoom back into that unit with the clot, now given that the blood can't traverse that obstructed blood vessel, you know, like what's going to happen to it? Where, where is it going to go instead? Is it shunting to somewhere else? Yes, it is shunted, though I would say for our purposes, it probably makes the most sense to avoid the word shunt because it has specific connotations when we're talking about hypoxemia. Um, it probably is... Ma- shunt can be used the term. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's being like diverted uh, to a different area. And if we go back to the animal models I mentioned earlier, the investigators found that the areas with clots had low Q, right? That's not surprising, right? They have an an obstruction to Q. But they also found that the areas without the clot, the areas that don't have the PE, they experience an increase in flow or an increase in Q. So basically, the blood that was blocked by the clot went to the areas of the lung that didn't have a clot. And so the question then becomes... What would be the ventilation, the perfusion, and the VQ ratio of those areas, the areas that have the blood diverted to it? Okay. So our V is is probably unchanged overall. 
but our Q goes up because we have increased flow, which means a decreased VQ ratio, which is a shunt. Well, if it if it's extreme enough, and and you have uh, no ventilation and preserved perfusion, that would be a shunt. But at least at the at the very least, what we have here is decreased VQ ratio, which, as Avi mentioned earlier, is like most of the explanations for hypoxemia we see in medical patients. So it does come back to VQ in these patients, but the area that has the decreased VQ ratio for PE are areas that are not actually affected by the clot. They're instead areas that are experiencing increased blood flow because of diversion of blood from the clot. I mean, I just find that absolutely crazy to me. Yeah. It's like VQ mismatch, but in a way that we never think about. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, let me point to the area of the lung that has a clot. Okay. See that area there? That's not where your hypoxemia is coming from. It's just, it's just, again, it, I, maybe I've said the word weird like 25 times. It just, it's just so weird to me. Okay. Tony, can I tell you about one situation I found where this may not entirely be the case? Please. Which is bringing it back, episode 14, my favorite, septic pulmonary emboli. So this is like wildly observational. There is one case report in 1996. It's actually an image of a VQ scan in a patient with a small septic pulmonary embolus. And what they saw was reverse VQ mismatching or shunting uh, in the area of the septic pulmonary embolism. And they don't actually even comment on it, but I wonder if in that situation, at the site of the clot with like, you know, a lot of cytokines, sort of all the things that lead to the imaging features we talked about on episode 14, you may actually get more local shunting and less diversion of blood. Yeah. And I, and I think this gets to the kind of a larger point that you know, what we're focusing on in, on this episode is a, is a singular explanation for hypoxemia and PE. But undoubtedly, there's going to be more going on, right? Avi already alluded to the idea of pulmonary infarction. No question. There's going to be areas of uh, atelectasis as a result of the pulmonary embolism. There's, un you know, if you have a, a large enough PE, you might get shunt across a PFO because of, you know, increased right side of pressure. There's, there's a lot of layers to this, but I think the general feeling is that this is, you know, one of the major, if not the major mechanism for most patients. And just to sort of bring the discussion back to that sort of initial question also to kipnia, um, you wonder if some of the, the VQ mismatching that's occurring, um, that like you talked about from this diversion of blood, that if that sort of altering um, ventilation and, you know, again, could sort of – could potentially lead to, to, to kipnia as well. And sort of like what, what Hannah was saying is the clot releasing vasoactive factors and things like that that can be irritating to the lungs. So that probably contributes to tachypnea to CNMP. So it's probably multifactorial. Yeah. I mean, Hannah, when you mentioned the, the, the VQ ratio of these areas not affected by the clot, you said the V or the ventilation would be normal. And, and it is at least initially. But just as you said, Avi, what happens in patients with a QPE is they undoubtedly increase their minute ventilation in response to the hypoxemia, in response to maybe the local hypercapnia, at least very early on. And so the classic finding uh, for PE is tachypnea. I mean, most of these patients have an increased minute ventilation, uh, often driven by at least a part uh, by an increase in respiratory rate. Now, I want to sort of apply this a little bit and imagine a scenario where a patient is presenting with a massive PE with shock. And they're placed on a positive inotrope, like dibutamine. Uh, 
So what might happen in this situation? More specifically, what might happen to their oxygen saturation in this situation? So with an inotrope, we'd be increasing their Q. So they could get more hypoxemic? Yeah, it's it's totally, um, gosh, it's weird, but that's exactly right. Um, if you increase the flow or Q by giving something like a that something like a positive inotrope that's going to increase the cardiac output, you might see worsening of that VQ mismatch we've we, we've talked about, and this has been demonstrated in animal studies um, again. And I'll tell you, this explanation might also help to understand something that probably many of us have observed, and it's that some patients with PE. Even massive PEs, they might not have hypoxemia. And this makes sense if you realize that the hypoxemia only results from the diversion of blood away from areas of thrombus um, to the other areas. And you could imagine a scenario where maybe this hasn't happened yet, that that sort of like redirection of the blood hasn't happened yet. And if it hasn't happened, you're not going to yet see a marked hypoxemia unless you've got something else like the pulmonary infarct. But you kind of need the diversion of blood to maintain the cardiac output. If the blood is, remains obstructed and hasn't been diverted, that's exactly the kind of patient who's been in, who's going to be in, in obstructive shock. So you know, if you see a patient who's in shock and you think they have obstructive shock and they're not hypoxemic, that absolutely does not rule out PE. That still remains a consideration. It's totally fascinating, Tony, that this is sort of like one of those that's like hiding in plain sight. It's sort of, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, like it's PE causes hypoxemia. It's obstructive, of course. And then, nope, that's not how it works. Yeah. Incredible. All right, Tony, I know you have some take home points. Will you queue them up for us? Yes. So, in acute pulmonary embolism, um, that blood is diverted away from areas of the clot. So we're not going to use the word shunt. We'll just use the word diverted. Um, and this creates an increase in perfusion or Q um, without a matching of ventilation in these areas where the blood's been diverted. And this results in decreased VQ ratio in those areas. And that's where you get probably a, a large part of the hypoxemia in acute PE. And so what, again, is I find absolutely notable is it's the areas that are not affected by the clot that are the sources of the low VQ and that are the sources of the hypoxemia in a QPE. And that's just like totally blows my mind, even now, years after I first read it. Yeah, that's totally awesome. Something that I never would have thought twice about that just like illustrates some beautiful physiology. All right. So that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you as always for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at curiousclinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. For more information, you can visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curiousclinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.